I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So have you ever had an unexpected encounter? Have you ever run into someone you haven't seen in like a really long time? Could even be years and there's like an instant connection, like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in so long, it's so great, and you make plans to get together and they fall through and you never see them again. Or you may uh, meet somebody uh, famous, and wow, that was really cool, and then you go back and you have a really cool story to tell your friends. I remember for me, one time, I was at home, minding my own business, and I got a text message from my brother-in-law. He and a mutual friend were at this, ma- there's like this massive cigar chain in Orlando, and uh, they're both there having cigars, and they texted me, they're like, you'll never believe who walk in. Uh, and they named like this very famous comedian, actor, writer, director. He, pretty, he does a lot of stuff, um, produ- producer. And like, this dude is here. And I'm like, there's no way, he's not really there. And they're like, no, he is, he's right here. I said, if he's really there, put him on the phone. And the next second, my phone rang. I was like, hello. And they're like, yeah, here he is. And I could recognize his voice. He has a very recognizable voice and laugh. I was like, uh, okay. Uh, hi. He's like, hi. And I'm like, uh, I like your movies and stuff. And he goes, okay, thanks. I'll keep making them. I'm like, uh, okay, bye. He's like, bye. And he handed back the phone to, you know, to my brother-in-law. And I was like, wow, that was really cool. I did not expect that to happen. It was kind of out of nowhere, right? Now it's a cool story. I get to tell people about a brush that I had uh, with, with a celebrity. And after something like that happens, right, we tell that story. Like, I told that story. Wow, that was a really cool experience. But sometimes chance encounters like that or an unexpected experience can alter the course of our lives. Like, and that was just a silly example. But sometimes we meet someone or we experience something that alters the trajectory of our lives. But what happens, brothers and sisters, when that encounter that causes everything to change isn't an encounter with a celebrity or with an athlete or with a long-lost friend, but an encounter with the living God? And it's so to this that we're going to turn today in the life of Moses and his encounter with God on the mountain through the burning bush. So we heard read in the story Moses... He's keeping the flocks of his father-in-law, right? So we pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 3, a bit after where we left off last week. So we kind of have to summarize to lead up to what's going on in today's story. So last week we looked at Pharaoh's pride, how that pride caused him to lash out in fear, having neglected the memory of Joseph, leading him to enslave the Hebrew people, as well as call for the destruction of of all of their male children. And it's very interesting, brothers and sisters, just popped in my head right now, that that the thing that Pharaoh was afraid of, that they would rise up against him and and (laughs) rise up against him and sort of uh, cause, bring about their destruction, he actually kind of caused that to happen himself through his own prideful, sinful, sinful actions. I guess a self, uh, was that a self-determining prophecy? I think that's what, what that's called, but sometimes when we do something evil to try to mitigate something that we think is going to happen to us, we actually wind up causing that bad, wicked thing to actually happen. And then we talked about how 
Pharaoh is an image of the type of person that is resistant to the work of God. And, and we saw the story of baby Moses placed in the water in a little boat and how Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him and how this showed the providence of God in preparing and preserving their deliverer by bringing him up and having him be protected in the very house of the one who decreed his destruction. And today's reading is Moses' encounter with the burning bush. But we have to know why Moses is, is in the wilderness in the first place, right? So you have this contrast. You have Moses in the wilderness. The wilderness is a stark place, right? It's a place of, of harsh weather conditions. And then you have, on the other side of his life, the palaces of Egypt, right? Egypt is still kind of in a desert space, but they built right along the Nile, right? So they had fresh water, and they had society and civilization, education and art and math and all that good stuff that Moses was trained in, right? As we heard last week. But he has to leave this place because he sees an Egyptian beating one of his countrymen, right? So he, he was brought up, remember, we have to remember the first few years of his life, even though a Pharaoh's daughter took him in, his own mother nursed him. And so we, we, it's not an assumption to say that he was formed, right? A lot of important formation happens in the first few years of, of, of a child's life where they learn who they are. They learn their identity, where they come from, their stories of their people. He sees an Egyptian beating one of his countrymen, and he kills the Egyptian and buries his body. And later on, he sees two Hebrew people having a disagreement. So what does he try to do? He walks over. And he's like, bros, come on, man. We're all on the same side here. Let's, uh, let's chill out. And they say to him, are you going to kill one of us too? <laughs> so the color must have like, drained from his face. And he realizes, oh, this is not good. So he, he, he runs away, right? He, he runs for his life. And it says when Pharaoh finds out about it, he was very angry and sought to get him. So he rightly flees to the land of Midian in the wilderness. And he falls in with some local people, who is a priest, actually, and he marries into their family, and he becomes a shepherd, right? And, and, and scholars will tell you that one of the most reprehensible vocations to the Egyptians were, were actually shepherds. They looked down on, on them a, a lot. They were not into that. Very low on the, on the totem pole there. So to come from the palace to a shepherd is a massive shift, right? So a significant amount of time has passed here, right? And, and Moses finds himself keeping the flock of sheep when all of a sudden he's walking past this bush and it spontaneously combusts, right? The text is, is it's a little amusing here. Moses says, I must turn aside to see this bush that is on fire but isn't actually being consumed by the fire. I'm going to stop and look at this. You know, and, and this is something like spectacular, right? This isn't, you know, like the singing bush from the Three Amigos that's like singing show tunes as they ride past. This is a bush. It's on fire. Flames are everywhere. But you're looking. There's no smell of smoke. It's just kind of not being consumed by the fire. Like if you had a cell phone, he'd be like taking pictures of it. I would. Putting it all over. Uh, I'm trying, like, I don't know. I'll spend more time trying to figure out the hashtag. Uh, than that, taking the actual picture. What do, I, what do I label this as? But he's probably freaking out a little bit. Then things get even weirder, right? A voice, the angel of the Lord, which you identify with the Lord himself, comes out of the bush and calls him by name. So not only is this bush on fire, this bush knows who he is. And Moses replies, and this voice from the bush says, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. 
Then the voice says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses then does something very interesting. He hides his face, afraid to look upon God. And if you ever have a vision, like an actual real vision, this is probably the right thing to do, is to avert your face. If an angel ever appears to you, if uh, God ever appears to you, it's probably hide your face a little bit. <laughs> this is why I never believe people who tell me, well, they, I don't really hear this a lot anymore, but in the circles I used to run in when I was younger, people, oh, I had visions of angels and all that stuff. And those visions are never like anything what we see in the Bible. And it's, if you really had those visions, you would be scared witless. You would be scared witless. Anyway, I, I, I digress. So he hides his face, afraid to look at the face of God, because we know that no one can look upon the face of God and live. God speaks to him and says, I have seen the affliction of my people. Then he says, I have heard their cries. And then he says, therefore, I am coming to deliver them, and I want to bring them into this promised land, the land that they originally left where they could go to Egypt. Now God is going to call and bring them back so they can possess it in its fullness. God says something unexpected to Moses. I'm going to do all this. Now you go, Moses, and you tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses responds, uh, e? <laughs> I kind of did some bad stuff while I was there. Um, maybe I'm not the right guy for this. And God replies, it's totally fine. I will be with you. Oh, and by the way, if you want a sign that I'm with you, here's the sign. And Moses was probably like, yes, please give me a sign, because that's how people work sometimes. Have you ever prayed for something, and you're like, God, if you would just give me a sign that I'm supposed to make this decision, or God, please give me a sign that what I'm about to do is right. God says, I'm going to give you a sign, Moses. The sign is this. After you go and bring them out, you'll bring all the people over here, and you'll come worship me on this mountain. Did you, did you catch that? The sign that God says I'm going to give you is not going to be seen until after he does what God has told him to do. God is asking for faith. God is asking for trust. And God is asking for obedience. And when we have these unexpected encounters with God, that is what God is asking of us. He's asking for our faith, our trust, and he's asking for our obedience. And Moses knows what it would cost him to go back there, that it would put him in danger of his life, most likely. You know, the Pharaoh that was angry with him had died by this point, right? But it's still a danger for him to go back based on what he, what he did, who he was, and what God is asking him to do. There's danger there. And God says, danger's totally fine. Here's the sign. You're not going to see the sign until after you actually do it. God often works in these counterintuitive ways. Moses says, they're not going to believe me, God, and they're going to ask me, oh, who is sending me? Like, what's your name? So what am I going to tell them? So God responds in two ways. He says, I am who I am, right, from the Hebrew word to be, right? So I am is the divine name, which we would say Yahweh, right? Yahweh, God's divine name. And then God also says, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you, right? Placing not only Moses in the story of God's people, but identifying himself as the God that the patriarch served. Because I think later on in Exodus, God actually says, I never told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob my name, but I gave it to you to give to them. So let's break down a little bit some of the aspects and imagery that we've seen in this story. So let's talk a little bit about the burning bush. And there's a couple of things that we can see in this story, right? So the angel of the Lord actually is the Lord himself, right? So you see this throughout the Old Testament where it's kind of confusing as to who's speaking. It'll say, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, and then all of a sudden the narrative shift, shifts and it says, the Lord said, or Yahweh said. We're meant to kind of see those two as the same. There's this identification of the angel of the Lord with the Lord, right? Which is part of the foundation for the early church realizing, oh, wait a minute, this, uh, this is Christ. This is Christ. Now, no, we notice also, right, that the fire does not consume the bush. This fire of God that we see is not destructive, but instead is pointing towards something very different, right? So whenever we read scripture too, we see this in imagery, this imagery, right? There's a scholar named Heiser who notes that whenever we see fire, right, this is, this is language used to talk about the divine counselor or God's heavenly, God's heavenly throne, but it's also pointing towards something else, the fire of purification, the fire that somehow makes things sacred and makes things holy. Now think to your New Testament for a minute or two. St. John the Baptist, he preaches, right? There's somebody coming after me, and what is he going to do? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. And then we see that in Acts 2. The fire falls upon the apostles' heads, and are they consumed? No, it would be very weird if their heads caught fire and their heads burned off and they're just kind of... No, the fire descends on them, on their heads, and does not consume them because God, the Holy Spirit, is coming to dwell in them. The fire is God's purifying presence. His purifying presence. So we see the burning bush engulfed in flame as a type of the presence of God living in his people. In his people. There's something else here, too. A lot of readers of Scripture have, have, have noted this, and so I'm not... You might think, uh, I've never heard this before, but if you, when you read and you research and you, and you go back and, and you look into this stuff, you see that a lot of, of, of the church fathers see the burning bush as, as a type of the Virgin Mary. St. John of Damascus says the burning bush was an image of God's mother, right? We know Jesus is God, right? We're not saying that Mary gave birth to like, the Holy Trinity, right? Jesus is God. Mary gave birth to Jesus. That's why they called Mary the mother of God, right? That's theological. Protestants have affirmed this since the reformers. Like, that's not something crazy for us, right? And I say that because sometimes we get, oh, that sounds a little too Catholic. The commentator White, he notes, typologically, the burning bush points towards the incarnation, right? God the Word 
becoming human. The living tree represents the Virgin Mary, the daughter of Sion, in whom the incarnate word is present. God's holiness does not destroy the integrity of the creature in whom he becomes manifest, but by his grace preserves and ennobles her in proximity to God. And this is interesting for us, brothers and sisters, because when we ourselves receive the living word of God, the fire of God becomes present in us, ennobling us, and preserving us. Let's talk a little bit about holy ground, and that's tied in as well with the, with the burning bush imagery here. And I've, <laughs> I've seen Christian coffee shops with the name Holy Grounds, and if, you, if you're planning on opening a Christian coffee shop, please don't call it Holy Grounds. But um, we've lost this idea, right, in large parts of Western Christianity that the presence of God manifested in the material world can actually remain there or can actually make sacred or hallow that space. But it's not a leap, right? Because if the presence of God comes on us and in us and hallows us and makes us sacred as part of the material world, then that means that God's presence can remain and be on other aspects in the physical, uh, physical material world, right? The human person is made hallowed or holy by the presence of the indwelling spirit. And, and taking off his shoes here is a recognition by Moses that he is his, he's in the presence of the Holy One. And it's also interesting, some of the church fathers, they see him removing his shoes as being a type of removing iniquity from ourselves, or giving up dead works, or shaking off our dignity in order to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they shall see God. But I love what St. Cesarius of Arles says. He says, true holy ground is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom everything heavenly and earthly is sanctified. Right, so our Lord Jesus Christ, he hallows everything, making it fit for divine union with God. You know, there's a prayer that I pray when I do my daily devotions. It says, uh, oh Christ, you sanctify and illuminate everyone coming into the world. May the light of your glory be shined upon us that in it we may behold your unapproachable light. Let's talk a little bit about the divine names and we can preach, we could, we could just talk about the divine name for a, very, <laughs> for a very long time. But we're doing broad strokes here through Exodus. So what I'm gonna say today is this, is God tells Moses his name. God says, I am who I am. I will be who I, who, or who, I will be who I will be. And he then says, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The commentator White notes, when we say the word God, right, when I say God, we're not using a name. We're using a term to describe something indescribable. God, when I say, I love you, God, God is not a name. God's identifying name is Yahweh, or I am. God is identifying himself personally. And Moses doesn't make this name up, right? Or he doesn't take the name of a God from another nation. God freely gives it to him. And when God calls himself the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's placing Moses as part of the blessed people called out by God. And he's laying claim, I think, to him as well. You are not Egyptian. You may have been raised that way, but you are mine. 
Yahweh is the God of the covenant promise that through his elect people, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And St. Paul picks this up where he talks about the seed blessing all nations is Christ. God remembers and God keeps his covenant. Let's talk a little bit about mission. So Moses is then tasked with delivering the people out of Egypt. Now remember, God said, I have seen their affliction, I've heard their cries, I'm coming to deliver them, to bring them to the promised land. And and their picture of groaning, hard at work, and their cries of oppression is a poignant one, and, and woe to anyone taking part in oppression. God has a plan of deliverance, and he's going to send someone to enact that plan. And we see this fully realized in our Lord Jesus Christ, who, when we were dead in our sins and slaved to death, was sent as our deliverer to bring us out of the land of bondage to worship God on his holy mountain, the church. And this ties in so perfectly with the gospel reading today, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Following Jesus, we sometimes think that we can get around the hard stuff. We think that we can get around the hard conversations that we might have to have with people sometime. We, we think that we can, can serve God and not experience any difficulty or any hardship or any persecution for, for serving God, particularly Christ, right? We think that we can skate on by. I'm not one of those types of Christians. I'm cool with everything. Those are those Bible thumpers that you have to worry about. I'm totally fine. I don't think that anything is wrong. I, I don't judge anything or anybody. Ouch. Anyway. Denial of hardship. Moses, as we'll see, as we continue through the text, Moses tries to get out of this before he finally obeys. Like Moses and Jesus, we encounter God here on holy ground, right, where we remove our shoes of vice and lust and greed and pride, and we are filled with his spirit when we receive his body and blood, when we worship here on the holy mountain of the church before being sent out to bring Yahweh's deliverance to the people who dwell in darkness. And this involves sacrifice and maybe even loss, but the life lost in service to Jesus Christ, he shows us, is eternal life gained. And Jesus has a lot to say, a lot to say about what we do. Right, the Protestant reformers overemphasized, right, maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, I don't know. But they downplayed significantly this idea of us being judged by our works. I don't know how this plays out, right? But from the reading we heard from Jesus, we will answer for the things we've done, right? Like the parable of the servants, we will be answerable to God for what he has given us and how we've used what he's given us. And if we try to bury it and hide it in the ground like the wicked servant and then dust it off, 
when he returns, things are not going to go well for us. The sheep and the goats, right? If our faith <laughs> is totally cool with everything that the culture tells us is totally cool with, then we're probably doing something wrong. Because our faith, right, our, the sign for our faith, right, is, is the resurrection. God calls us, he calls us, and he says, here's the sign, right? I'm going to give you the spirit, and then you'll know this is all really happening and true when I raise you up at the last day, right? <laughs> because God is asking for, for our faith and our trust and our obedience, and as we give him our faith and our trust and our obedience, we will then see that sign fulfilled when we love him and serve him and when we go out to bring the people of darkness into the light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who appeared in the burning bush to his servant Moses. May he be exalted forever with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me.